start the recording button. It's always a cold open. I've never, I've yet to work out a slick way of um, of opening these, so I always have to kind of improvise a bit, like precisely what I'm doing now. Uh, everyone, uh, good evening. Welcome to um, welcome to to um, welcome to the show. Thanks thanks for joining. We have a guest joining us, and Juliet Phillips is hiding in the background. She's in the green room at the moment, um, helping herself to the virtual um, muffins and, and 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 sort of orange juice that we that we've got hidden back there. Um, Juliet, we'll introduce you momentarily um, properly. But first, it's episode 172. It's a case study in being wary of the hydrogen hype. Um, and, uh, yes, sponsored by the, the one of Britain's last DMUs, which is the, um, the the Class 172 here, looking a bit like an Electrostar. A bit weird. Anyway, I intend not to dwell on that. This is going to be a tight episode, everyone. I promise it's going to be a tight episode. <laughs> uh, famous last words. Um We'll speak to Juliet in a minute. Until then, everyone, welcome to tonight's Rail Natter. As the Intercity 225 fades away, the first thing to do is to, to say hello to Juliet Phillips. Hello, Juliet. Uh, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, that was a mildly chaotic introduction because I always, I have not, I've yet, uh, someday I'll, I'll do a scripted episode and, and it'll actually be very slick. Juliet, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for agreeing to come and chat to us about hydrogen in a different sector. Hopefully, everyone watching this is going, this is a this is rail natter. It's about transport, not homes. I promise you, everyone um, watching and listening, this is going to be a really useful episode for us as a, as a bit of a warning from other sectors about um, being aware and being wary of, of hydrogen. Before any of that, though, Juliet, do you want to introduce yourself? I, I, I'm waffling on. I've not given you a single chance to speak yet. Would you like to introduce yourself to everyone watching and listening? Thanks. Yeah. Hi. Thanks so much for having me on the, the show tonight. Really great to be here. Um, so, yeah, I'm Juliet Phillips. I'm a senior policy advisor at E3G, which is an independent climate change think tank. And I lead our UK work on place based transitions, which is basically all things to do with decarbonizing our homes and um, energy system. And yeah, hydrogen has become a, a real sticking point. I think it's, it's fair to say. So very interested to get to the bottom of this yeah and it's gonna be interesting to, to share notes as to what's well I, you know to, maybe it'd be interesting to, to share what's been happening in transport a little bit because i have a f sneaking suspicion it will mirror some of the stuff that you've been having to kind of see off um as it were in uh, in in housing and placemaking so so that's so you, you stick mostly with housing communities do you do any kind of trans kind of transport related stuff or are you is sticking mostly with kind of homes and communities the work that you do yeah, so the kind of basic bread and butter of our work is focused on energy efficiency and um, heat pumps and heat networks. Um, but I think increasingly we're recognising we're going to need to make big upgrades to the, the energy grid to get the heat pump capacity, which is also also linked to home EV charging as well. Yep. So it's quite inseparable, I think, transport communities and, and housing. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, without further ado, I will um, I, I shall uh, reduce the size of our faces and uh, kind of continue to introduce what we're talking about tonight so hydrogen <laughs> everyone socratic method what is hydrogen no we're not going to tell everyone everyone you all know what hydrogen is um 
Uh, we've we've in fact talked about hydrogen in the context of transport on our first ever guest episode back um, with when Mike Muldoon joined us as our first guest. Uh, it was such the podcast was so new that it got to the end of the episode, which was live, and I, I realised Juliet that I hadn't actually worked out how to say goodbye and end the get like the guest bit of the episode, and I just kind of unceremoniously closed the Skype window. It was really embarrassing. I phoned Mike up after that and apologised. Um, it, it's all good. I won't be hanging up on you because when the credits roll, we'll say a proper goodbye, which I forgot to say before we start recording, but. Um, you know that's real now what's what i do anyway so we talked about hydrogen trains we talked about like why there was a space for hydrogen trains it was a bit of a policy space and i'd be interested as we talk as we go through the story that you're going to tell if if some of the space where the hydrogen's come to fill within the home heating sector is because of a policy vacuum uh, in government that's certainly why it's why it's happened in transport is because government is unwilling to commit to the solutions we have now um, and is like desperately looking for the next easy thing that will make their lives easy and mean that there's not much behavioural change. So it'd be interesting to pick through that. Um, so the context of this, Juliet, you, you've sent through a few things. And I, I suppose it's the idea that as with transport, but but actually it sounds like in advance of transport, hydrogen is being touted as a zero emissions solution for home heating. Right? That's uh, and so, so talk us through... Talk us through a little bit about this, a bit of background, a bit of context, maybe a little bit about the home heating sector uh, as well. Brilliant. Yeah. So first of all, to say um, before we really get into this, E3G loves hydrogen, you know, particularly if it's green produced from renewables. And we recognise it's got a really important role to play yeah. in reaching net zero. But we're also um, realistic about the fact it's probably not going to be affordable at scale for at least a decade, if not longer. So we really need to make sure that we're developing and deploying hydrogen really strategically, targeting yeah. the sectors and the, the places as well where it will add most value for net zero. And we know that some of the kind of low hanging fruits here are existing, um, replacing the existing grey hydrogen, which is being used by industrial um, users, as well as in power sector decarbonisation and heavy industry. So first caveat, we do like hydrogen, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. although what I'm about to say might not always sound so positive. <laughs> so yeah, in this particular context, what's the problem? So we're seeing these hydrogen ready boilers being advertised um, and pushed out by a number of um, fossil boiler manufacturers and gas networks. Um, and these are being touted as green, but the reality is hydrogen for heating doesn't exist at scale in the UK yet. So if you buy one of these systems and install it, it's just going to continue to burn um, polluting fossil fuels um, until the grid is converted to green hydrogen, which we don't necessarily think is particularly likely. Mm. Um, and we've identified a number of different challenges um, that this presents for, for home decarbonisation and getting cracking with the, the solutions which do exist at scale today. Yeah, 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 yeah. That sounds similar because there, there, there is a space for hydrogen in in transport. It sounds like similar. It's again the parallels are that there is a space for hydrogen, but again, it's like make the use of it in the situations where it is well applied, where there actually aren't potentially alternatives, and and in the and in the places, yeah, geographically as well, where there are potentially industrial sources of hydrogen that are otherwise not going to not going to use. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, yeah. So there's there's uh, you sent me a, a telegraph piece uh, sort of a screenshot of a telegraph piece sort of you know six reasons not to buy a heat pump and actually i did a quick google and and um this is money.co.uk by the way that's just a daily mail front website everyone just in case you didn't realize uh going on about heat pumps leaving homes cold people ripping them out um and then even sort of ostensibly green looking websites saying that air source heat pumps are not not the answer so there seems to be a bit of a bit of a a backlash against the idea of using heat pumps for the future. I, I, I don't know whether you want to un unpick this a bit, Juliet. 
Yeah, I mean, we're not denying that obviously our challenges associated with deploying heat pumps, these aren't insurmountable. Mm. Um, and there are policy solutions kind of ready to go out there. I think the big challenge with hydrogen is that it's being pitched as lower cost for households, mm. which is true in the sense that a hydrogen ready boiler, which is essentially a fossil heating system, is the same cost. So, um, yeah, of course, it's cheaper than a, a heat pump, but it um, ignores all the running costs associated with hydrogen, which are likely to be significantly higher than just um, directly electrifying our homes, as well as all the, the system and infrastructure costs. So it's quite misleading, but that kind yep. of information causes this confusion, which we're seeing now among consumers, among politicians, and even installers who are going into people's homes and advising them, oh, you know, now's not the time to get a heat pump. We're going to have hydrogen coming along when we, we just don't think that that's actually very likely. So yeah, it's causing a lot of confusion. And all of this is creating a problem of underinvestment in, in clean heat supply chains, yeah, um, in yeah. particular heat pumps. And and this was actually backed up today by the, the Climate Change Committee's yes. um, report, which said, actually, we can't wait around for hydrogen for heating. We need to get cracking with um, the readily available electrification solutions if we're going to, to meet our climate targets. Uh, listeners and, and viewers will be just like banging their heads going, this all sounds so familiar for transport. Because it's so true, the, the fact that it's this idea of, of like jam tomorrow. And so you just delay the initial, you delay these investment, but also the fact that um, it seems like a cheap thing up front going for this alternative solution, but actually the long-term costs are substantial. In, in transport's case, it's that you, um, you know, it, it, you know, that the trains are more expensive to run, that they that they have less capacity because they're full of hydrogen. All these sorts of issues. It's so interesting. The parallel. I knew this would happen. I knew it would happen. <clears throat> the parallels are substantial between sectors. So, um, so that's the kind of the that, that's some of the sort of the, the broader context. Let's let's pull back in a little bit and maybe talk numbers and and, and make the comparison in terms of home heating. How, what how, what is the comparison? How does it look between you know different hydrogen sources um, at, at versus heat pumps? Uh, and you've sent a couple of graphics that kind of we can we can maybe talk through. So so this first graphic here um, uh, is a, at the top here is a, is uh, is green hydrogen, and at the bottom here is is heat pumps. And it's a really nice energy breakdown of of, of waste. But yeah, I'll, I'll let you talk through these, Juliet. Yeah, I mean, if we just completely go back to basics and think about the physics of this, if we're using hydrogen um, to to run our homes, then rather than just directly electrification, we're having to go through the process of creating that hydrogen in the first place, and then transporting the hydrogen, and then burning the hydrogen in our homes. So it's it's there's just efficiencies being lost along the way. And of course, the UK is taking a twin track approach. So also looking at blue hydrogen, which is produced um, using fossil fuels with um, CCS. And again, that's always going to be more expensive than um, using gas or using um, green hydrogen or using direct electrification because there's all those upfront costs associated. So um, yeah, just the physics alone kind of speaks to the fact that it, it will be more expensive and less efficient, at least for the majority of homes across the country. Um, so yeah, um, there's some very smart people out there who've crunched the numbers and found out exactly what the um, efficiencies are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you go back to so this this one's interesting because you sort of see, as you say, you've got these you've got the conversion costs of of, of taking you know you take a a huge pile. So this is the interesting comparison, right? So to um, create the required seventy gigawatts of domestic heat that that UK housing stock needs. So this is the this is the magic number, right? That that people need to remember. Seventy gigawatts is is the required sort of um, heat heat 
heat mass that, that we were that for, for for UK housing stock, 70 gigawatts. So in order to get there, we need to create 150 gigawatts of renewable energy if that is if hydrogen if even if green hydrogen is going to be the, the the approach because of all of the loss as you say there's the the conversion loss so that's conversion um into from acdc and then into uh, and then the electrolysis of the hydrogen itself that then gives you 107 gigawatts of renewable hydrogen but the compression and transmission losses are also substantial so there's this tremendous loss that just is lost to heat here that means you end up with just 77 gigawatts of renewable hydrogen after those processes so that's an enormous reduction then you've got 90 percent efficient boilers which means you're losing another 10 percent up, up up into the atmosphere that is that's a tremendous loss of energy and, and you say okay we could do that and if and if all of this was was green energy then you could say well yeah but that is it's zero carbon that that whole supply chain is zero carbon but what are the opportunity costs of the other things that we need to be electrifying, right? That's a lot of wind turbines that someone's put a green hydrogen sticky note on the side of, right? Um, so I suppose, yeah, that, that's that's the kit. I'd say that's, I've characterized it perhaps slightly uh, slightly exaggerated that. But that, that is essentially the issue, isn't it? It's, it's the opportunity cost of, for green hydrogen, it's the opportunity cost of what we can't be powering with uh, with our renewable energy stock. So, yeah. Um, Whereas you drop down to the to the heat pumps, so feel free to jump in if I'm blethering nonsense, by the way, Juliet. Um, but uh, if if you jump down to the heat pumps, you can see that there is the, the the benefit of heat pumps is that you get that heat from the environment. So actually, you don't need seventy gigawatts of electricity to create this to to, to heat the homes. You only need to start, in theory, with twenty six gigawatts of electricity. And then you, you obviously you've got the standard transmission losses, so that that drops down to twenty three gigawatts. That's standard for electricity for for the non electricity nerds. That just happens on our transmission network, by the way. We can't avoid it. Um, but then the heat pumps work with the heat from the environment. I've I've got some friends, by the way, who live um, who live south of York, who have installed a heat pump. They're very pleased with it. They're kind of like, well, okay, on the days where it's a really cold day, we might have an extra electric heater where the kids are, or something like that, just as a bit of a top up. But actually. When it's up and running, the houses are just a consistent. It's consistently warm, and it's and, and the main thing they then turn to is they get little pound signs appear in their eyes when they go, yeah, and it's saved us. Okay, yeah, we had to spend a bit of money at the start, but it's saving us an, a very obvious amount of money, particularly as they they got panels put in at the same time. So, um, yes. Anyway, I digress. That's how you get through to the fact that heat pumps are. Yeah, I love this stat. The heat pumps are potentially three hundred percent efficient because they're pulling in this heat from the energy. Anyway enough of my waffling the last point uh is is about the blue hydrogen which is much messier um and again juliet catch me if i'm uh, if, if i'm misspeaking on any of this but uh yeah it, blue hydrogen which is coming from it's sort of a residual product a byproduct of industrial processes um but again you you have to do quite a lot to that to get that hydrogen to the point where it's going into homes and, and heating homes compared to as you say we've got so they, they've quoted 270 the previous said 300 percent. you see heat pumps have this this improved efficiency whereas blue hydrogen only about 58 percent efficient so yeah um not not so it's, it's not exact and again this is this works for transport julia I, 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 yeah because the, again you have all the same problems except that the other challenge with transport is that we don't we can't stick all the hydrogen on land we've got to carry the hydrogen around in the train which, which is it's it's not very compressible hydrogen so you end up with uh, either expending a lot of energy keeping it compressed or you end up having to dedicate an entire coach to hydrogen which is not not hugely not efficient use of limited platform work. yeah exactly exactly so so you alluded to to 
to to this the kind of this point earlier about hydrogen about there being better things to use hydrogen for i think we should probably talk in, in a bit of detail about you, you you allude to this you sent this little graphic uh called the clean hydrogen ladder i don't know if you wanted to talk a, a bit about that and and we can kind of go through um some of the yeah some of the ways that you think hydrogen are better as you say you're not e3g you're not an enemy of hydrogen it's just that there are better ways to use it than home heating right yeah, exactly. And I, I think this really speaks to that point around the need for a really strategic approach in, in the UK, because a scattergun approach, I appreciate that the government doesn't want to, to pick winners. But as we saw with, with the um, illustration of how much more efficient um, direct electrification is, we could end up um, spending a lot of money creating electricity, which isn't the most efficient use of our resources so yeah. from a kind of net zero perspective but also from how can we keep the cost down it just makes a lot of sense to to follow this order of prioritization and this is quite a famous hydrogen ladder um from michael liebrich who's a, a real expert on these things and he's established which uses for hydrogen are absolutely essential words that really add most value for getting to net zero and which are, are uncompetitive which don't make sense where do we have readily available solutions like electrification and it's uh, quite interesting to see metro trains and buses right yeah. down there um the g and we've got domestic heating as an f so clearly neither of these uses make strategic sense but what we really need is this more strategic vision from the government because at the moment they've kind of nodded towards different projects but we haven't had a firm ruling out of nationwide hydrogen for heating uh, and there's not a decision expected until till 2026. So, yeah, really? a, okay. a really key message from the, the Climate Change Committee today was that delay is just creating so much um, destruction for, for the clean heat supply chain. Um, and we've got decisions like blending coming down the line as well. This just creates more uncertainty among industry. Whereabouts on this hydrogen ladder are we prioritizing? Is it going to be domestic heating? Is it going to be fertilizer? At the moment, it's not clear. Yeah, that's so. That's interesting. In fact, I'm, in fact, I'm gonna let's let's talk a little bit about that because I kind of the, the the policy stuff is is worth I think exploring because I think this is again where there are these parallels and it's it's in, I think that the I, I, the feeling I get is the housing sector is that bit further on. It, it's kind of it's been through a bit more of this pain, a bit more of the journey than the transport sector. The transport sector is a little bit less mature. Um, also, the transport sector is also just I think not as good at, at pushing back on this stuff because it invariably government has much more control over the system. Uh, we often find that there's just this this kind of pushback. We, we kind of get this push. You know, the industry doesn't push back very well. That's that's the main issue. The industry does a really bad job of pushing back um, uh, when it when it gets some of these suggestions. So so about that policy. So what's the kind of the, the history of, of, of hydrogen coming in as a proposed solution? Like when kind of what point did that kind of um, start being discussed you know how recently was was hydrogen being discussed and the idea of this hydrogen blending or conversion of the of the the ga natural gas network to hydrogen yeah so i think i think the idea of um hydrogen for heating is um you know it's been around for a long time but i think a real recent policy milestone was the publication of the heat and building uh, sorry yeah, the heat and building strategy and the um the hydrogen strategy a couple of years ago because those two um, major documents were sent, meant to set the direction of travel for both the decarbonisation of our homes, but also um, the creation of, of the hydrogen economy in the UK. So I think that's kind of where I start thinking yeah. about um, where kind of the recent policy decisions are coming from. Um, and ahead of the, the publication of the hydrogen strategy, we set out a checklist to E3G, things we'd like to see 
the government doing and that included things like focusing on green hydrogen rather than blue yeah. hydrogen um but also really importantly setting out a strategic vision working out from a kind of economy-wide perspective where should we be prioritizing hydrogen and where shouldn't we and so far there hasn't been that clarity around hydrogen for heating um there are some some players in in the the sector who are quite you know uh, optimistic about the role yeah. of hydrogen heating but they <laughs> tend to be the the ones who maybe aren't quite so bored with the the heat electrification train um or yeah keen to kind of expand the the lifespan of fossil heating assets yeah. so that's kind of where they're coming from and whilst we understand their position if we're we're thinking strategically about building a net zero economy we do have to move past and focus on those you know the readily available solutions which the heat and building strategy did to some extent, but there's still, I think, fair to say, quite a long way to go until we we catch up with the rest of Europe when it comes to heat pump deployment. It's that it's that beating around the but yeah. There's the two things. There's the there's the fact that it's it's politically expedient to be indecisive, but it's like yeah, okay, that politically expedient. But the onion of doom, you know, that the graphic of how quickly we decarbonize. It's not about you do everything in 2049. We you know to get to net zero, we need to do as much as possible now, and this is why we need to be accelerating electrification of. Of, sec- you know, of of housing and transportation sectors, and um, it's interesting also. So that this is a thing that the transport sector lacks. Really, like probably the one thing more than anything else. Whenever anyone asks me, what's the one thing that you do that could fix the railways or could fix transport? And I go, have a plan, have a long term plan, have a strategy. You, you cannot do anything. This is big, billion, multi billion pound investments, and it's the same in housing stock, right? This is multi billion pound investments long term across the whole housing stock. Um, and it sounds like that's the, it's the same issue in housing. No, that there is no no one's really willing to commit to a long term strategy, or if they are, it's always beyond the next general election. Yeah, we're seeing some real challenges here. So regulation, it's um, not the most popular tool for a government to use just before a general election. Yep. So, for example, um, the government's consulted on increasing the energy efficiency of houses in the private rented sector. It's consulted on phasing out um, fossil heating systems in off grid homes. These happened two years ago. We're still to, to hear a response for consultation. Yeah. So this is leaving landlords, financial institutions, homeowners, um, everyone you know, wondering what is going to happen? What will the timeline be? Is this going to happen at all? Is it going to get kicked into the long grass? And without that, that clarity, of course, um, you know, heat pump factories can't scale up. Yep. Um, they're not going to invest in the skills and training which we need to build the supply chain. There's all sorts of, of challenges and disruption associated with that that lack of long-term clarity. Yeah, it's, and, and again, yeah, that, that that's the key thing, isn't it? Is that this is seen as something that when, when government thinks, oh yeah, we decide it and then it'll start happening. It's, no, no, there's a huge, complicated, complex and integrated supply chain skills physical capacity to manufacture the stuff ability to roll it out and when it's skills it's not just the skills in developing the technologies it's also the trade skills in installing it's the you know there's a load of a huge number of kind of frontline builders contract you know small contractors who have to understand what this stuff looks like how to deal with it how to use it safely how to deploy it safely all that stuff can't cannot happen in the blink of an eye and that means delay and it also means that you know, it's it's longer until you get the economies of scale to bring the costs down as well. Which uh, for home heating, where there's a lot of pri- well, there will be a lot of personal and private investment in it. That's critical. It has to be it has to be seen as affordable, right? That that's really key. 
Absolutely. I think, you know, our homes and buildings are kind of the front line of net zero. We really need to get the buying of homeowners. It's got to be affordable. It's yeah. got to be accessible. They've got to have the information to hand. And I think at the moment, this unclarity in misinformation, which is being peddled by the media, there's lots of reasons why people are thinking, maybe I don't want to spend 10K yeah. right now because I don't know what the direction of travel is. I don't know whether this hydrogen is coming online. Um, so yeah, it's, it's causing a lot of challenges for, for the homeowners. Absolutely right. So I shall. Sorry, sorry for that brief pause. Uh, in in the, in, I just thought it's, it's worth. I just really wanted to dig in and, and explore a bit on that because it's just, it's it's particularly interesting to have that. Uh, again, the whole point of this is looking at the fact there's so much in common between the sectors on this stuff. Um, yeah, it's interesting picking through some of the other things. That are, so the, so the the things that are so for the benefit of the audio only people, I, I might just very very briefly go through some of the things that are at the top here. So yeah, you mentioned a few of them. You know, things like fertilizers, hydrogenation, uh, methanol, uh, desulfurization, but also particularly relevant in our in, in the rail sector is is the manufacturing of steel. You know, the, the production of steel requires hydrogen or requires quite a lot of hydrogen. And the broader chemical industry as well requires hydrogen as a feedstock. And these are all things that Liebrich has um, pointed out are they're they're at the top of the ladder. They are these are the A and B, the the kind of the, the things that we have to be using hydrogen for, that we have to prioritize the use of hydrogen for, right? Um, and then there's a few things that are up there as well. Interestingly, off-road vehicles get are in there as well. Shipping because. You know, ships are big. They generally have a lot of space. It's probably quite, hydrogen's probably quite a good way to to decarbonize shipping. Although, also, I'm all for nuclear powered um, tankers, but uh, that's that's one for another time. Um, interestingly, long term storage uh, here. Um, then we get to the sort of the middle ground stuff, which includes things like aviation, coastal and river vessels. Um, trains appear here, and this is kind of makes. If I dwell on it very briefly, this kind of makes the point of of what we've talked about in the first in that first guest episode episode four so many years ago and whenever i do talk about hydrogen is there is a space for hydrogen and it, and it sounds again in housing stock there's a similar logic but there is a space for it in the case of transport it's some of those longer routes where batteries don't have enough capacity and you need something that can last a bit longer you know 100 200 kilometer routes that are out in the sticks away from the ability to easily electri provide electrification um that, that that there are those opportunities but um, yeah, um, but you can see, as you pointed out, metro trains and buses are things that really, you know, battery and, and uh, you know, or, or trolley buses even, but, you know, battery for buses and, and for metro trains, just electrified conventionally. It's interesting to see, and it's reassuring that that is re reflected in this hydrogen ladder, actually. Uh, it'd be good if government paid attention to this ladder a little bit more. Um, anyway, there's, there's loads of, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to pick out in there. There's a few, yeah, ferries. It, it suggests ferries aren't a very good, don't, aren't a very good use of hydrogen either, actually, which is interesting for, for the transport nerds. I suppose batteries again for those. Anyway. I digress. Juliet, sorry, I've gone off on one. Um, so the last thing, um, or kind of the, the kind of the last sort of theme really is, 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 is the, is, we're going kind of broader politics of this and, and, and the idea. So you, you sent through this, this kind of digital placard to say no to fossil fuel greenwash and kind of accompanying that is this, um, is, is a, was a friends of the earth report, um, from July last year, which looked at kind of investigated some of the lobbying money that's being spent on on hydrogen and, and and the relationship between hydrogen and and fossil fuel now i'm going to give you a disclaimer because i'm sure it's yourself and e3g you're not saying that all hydrogen is being you know the idea of using hydrogen things is a complete fix by the fossil fuel industry that's not necessarily the case but it is certainly true that there is a, a lot of um 
let's say, corporate inertia in reusing a lot of very expensive and complicated fossil fuel real estate and trying not to have to rebuild all that, right? I don't know if you want to, <laughs> what your thoughts yeah, are generally. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I mean, yeah, exactly. Like, we're, we're of course, not saying that, that hydrogen is in, in totality greenwash, but there are real instances yeah. um, where this is happening. And actually, we were, we were backed up recently by the, the Competition and Markets Authority, ah. which came out with quite a, a damning report about some of the advertising being seen about hydrogen use in boilers. Interesting. Um, they, they made um, evidence base which showed that the use of um, labels and messaging could le mislead consumers. Um, certain manufacturers were providing inaccurate or incomplete information about the hydrogen ro rollout, so kind of over-egging its potential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also inconsistent, incorrect description of a boiler's ability to use hydrogen, because actually a lot of standard um, boilers can already uh, use a, a hydrogen blend. So kind of, yeah, there yeah. is quite a strong evidence case that this is already quite actively uh, greenwashing. And again, this just into the the general political and, and public confusion about the role of, of hydrogen and the future of um, the, the the gas grid as well in the UK. So we do need to make some strategic decisions here. What's going to happen to the the future of the gas grid? And I think until we've got a, a clear revision um, on the the strategic set out of a hydrogen economy, that's just going to keep delaying um, as the the grid remains a strategic asset. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know and. Uh, well, there's a couple of things I wanted to pick out of that. Firstly, it's it's this is you know there there's a mixture of um, you know investors uh, you know the the and and the the owners of large scale fossil fuel um, infrastructure who uh, want to basically slow the transition as much as possible so they can squeeze as much profit out of their investments as they, as they can. Um, that's uh, you know, but there's also some of the more you know, there's some of the other shady stuff of, of the of the that's one side. They may not be climate skeptic, but they want you know they do want to delay things as much as possible to maximise their. On the other side, you do have there is a substantial proportion of the you know I tell you what I'll step back from that. There is a proportion of the fossil fuel industry that literally doesn't have a huge interest in cl climate change or or what climate change actually looks like and does just see delay tactics as a way to continue to do business as usual. So you've got the business as usual and you've got the slowdown. Um, sort of slow, long transition people, both of which are kind of holding hands and and seeing hydrogen as a as a, as a way to achieve that. Um, uh, yeah, I, I I don't know whether that's a fair characterization of of kind of some of the some of the, the shape of, of of some of these. You know, we're talking about tens, if not hundreds, of millions of pounds or euros or dollars being spent on lobbying. Right, there is a substantial amount of lobbying going on by fossil fuel industries in favour of hydrogen. Right. Yeah, there's there's no denying it. The the numbers speak for themselves, and you just have to do a, a simple Google search, and you'll find um, organisations, trade bodies calling for hydrogen um, boilers to be installed in new build properties, for example. Yeah. Even though we think it's highly unlikely the grid will be decarbonised, definitely not in the time frame that we're building these new yeah. properties. So it's essentially just calling for new build homes to be connected to the gas grid, and at yeah. a time where we need to death. Yeah, we need. They need. We just, no new homes should be built with gas kit. I, I, yeah, that's, <laughs> it's the idea of building homes with, you know, with uh, with with methane boilers is, is bonkers. The other thing I wanted to talk about then, and it's kind of off the back of exactly what you said there. I I've never quite understood the. You know, I've I've kind of followed it from a, a bit of a distance. The blending discussions. So I don't know if you wanted to very very briefly just sort of what what's the story behind the the idea of the blending? Because that to me just very much seems like an obvious 
scam uh, <laughs> just to keep burning methane. So what, what, what's the, the, the story about blending? Yeah, so for a bit of background on this, um, the UK government this year is set to make a decision on whether to permit a 20% hydrogen blend um, into the UK's gas grid. Um, and the reason it thinks this is a good idea is it because it's a, it will act as a sink. So the early hydrogen producers, before there, there is that secure end demand, it will be kind of a, an off-taker. So they okay, see yeah. it as reducing investment risk. So they, they see there's the logic case behind this. But we've recently set out in a briefing um, a, a number of reasons we're not sure this is the most strategic approach um, mm. to build the hydrogen economy. Um, I think first and foremost, it's going to put the costs on um, the bill payer. Yeah. Um, this the blending isn't actually being used to build um, 100% hydrogen grid. It's just being used as an early offtaker um, eventually for the hydrogen to be used by industrial consumers. So for us, it seems very unfair that um, at a time where we're already facing sky high bills that um, households have to pay even more. Um, we've estimated it could be anywhere up to 20%. So quite a hefty increase. Oh, crikey. We yeah. did reach that full 20%. At a point blend. where they've already seen bills rising by numbers around that scale already. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. It doesn't make sense. And um, yeah, I mean, secondly, of course, it kind of then feeds into the greenwashing as well, because although the government doesn't see blending and heat decarbonisation as um, kind of, you know, cousins in terms of one leading to the next, um, a lot of the, the gas companies are kind of saying, oh, first blending, then 100% hydrogen heating. So if the government does go ahead with, with blending, we think it's really important they do provide a very firm signal that no, this is really just about having that sink for early stage hydrogen yeah, production, okay. which will then be used by the industrial and consumers. So there's not that confusion around the purpose of this policy. Uh, a commitment at ministerial level. My goodness, uh, that'd, be, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? So, <laughs> so, so that, I mean, Juliet, that's been a really really valuable kind of steer through what the what the issues are around um uh around the whole the housing sector and and, and and how hydrogen fits into it but i suppose uh maybe you uh, and probably quite a few of our um guests uh, and listeners and 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 uh viewers will be wondering well what about trains <laughs> what, what about trains um and to that i respond with um well i, I even if there is a role for hydrogen trains, which I think probably even even as a, as a transition, I think there is a role for those trains in some of the rural areas that, that maybe even if we were going to electrify them, they wouldn't be getting electrified until maybe, you know, even maybe the second half of the century or, or certainly, you know, 30, 30, 40 years away. So fine, if you want to stop burning, uh, you know, diesel in these trains, then you, you hydrogen is a, a viable solution for longer, longer routes. But it comes back to the same. So, so firstly, you know, I, I wrote this piece in in Rail Magazine quite a while back, um, and I sort of said the context, and we talked about the context. You know, as with all railway matters, it's important to frame any discussion with the bigger picture about you know hydrogen lobbying. And we've talked a bit about hydrogen lobbying in, in the case of, uh, of of the European Commission. The fossil fuel industry had spent um, at least sixty million euros in Brussels lobbying. Thankfully, we have lots of nice records on this stuff. 60 million euros lobbying for hydrogen. That's existing fossil fuel industry. So existing fossil fuel players lobbying, not new hydrogen players. But there is a role for hydrogen. But the the key problem that I was talking about is, and, and this might come, and it sounds exactly like the issue is in, in housing, is that even if we do want hydrogen trains, government is not buying any. It's not committing to actually 
running with even the hydrogen solutions to get the hydrogen solutions into a level of maturity that works. So I don't know whether that, that's similar in housing, that even with hydrogen, we're seeing chili shelling. So even even the stuff where hydrogen could be working, government is still like, ooh, oh, you mean that's becoming a real solution? Oh, I'm, I, no, I, I, I want the magic solution that's tomorrow. I don't want the solution that works today. That's certainly the case in transport, is that we've got hydrogen, we've got these hydrogen test trains running around in the UK, um, but government has refused to procure an actual fleet of squ uh, squadron fleet of hydrogen trains because it's like, oh, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Is that, I don't know, is that similar in, you know, where there is an opportunity for hydrogen? Is government doing shilly shallying even for hydrogen, Juliet? I mean, I guess in, in the government's defence, which isn't something I always do, um, but they have gone ahead with um, a hydrogen village trial and then looking to do a hydrogen uh, town trial down the line to basically see whether hydrogen would work um, in homes and buildings. What's very interesting is there's actually been a lot of local opposition in those uh, villages and towns ah. who've decided they don't necessarily fancy this very explosive um <laughs> everyone's been sharing home. pictures of hindenburg you know it's the standard thing yeah exactly um but i mean there are other areas of a low-hanging fruit where we would really like to see the government cracking on mm. so i think there's quite a lot of um agreement among most hydrogen experts and definitely across in european um circles around the need or the benefits of having hydrogen clusters or valleys where you have that secure production and um, end users all in one cluster. Yep. That for me feels like a no-brainer place to start. Like if we can kickstart the economy where it is useful and needed, we can create that that test bed for really positive, hopefully, use. And then the skills, rather than exactly, technologies, exactly, knowledge. Exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and actually, that's so. So there is so so one of the the one of the likely first hydrogen train rollouts in terms of frontline service is going to be up in the northeast of England where there is existing industry and an essentially there's the discussion of creating a hydrogen economy in the northeast sort of um Teesside actually so so in that area um uh, around Middlesbrough and 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 sort of the industrial processes the chemical industry there using the hydrogen that is created to kind of it would be it would, and as you say it's about the the whole economy the whole thing plugged together in fact you alluded to this at the start where you have to kind of think about it all together in that it would be homes it would be transport it would be buses and it would create this sort of localized hydrogen economy as you say to kickstart that's those skills the knowledge you ca you can't just do the skills if there's not a thing for them to be practicing those skills on and, and so yeah so in this instance there's there, there's that opportunity but um there is the problem we have where this hype sticks and in the case of caltrain over in the us i've already mentioned this on the podcast before in, in anger and frustration but you know caltrans have gone for hydrogen as their preferred um solution um for their their the kind of their preferred solution where they've gone uh conventional electrification is not feasible uh which uh is obviously baffling and they've decided that hydrogen is their preferred solution for electron trains now um this is a problem for all of sorts of reasons that we won't get into in this episode but yeah it shows that some of this lobbying is working meanwhile in germany and this is what we'll end on um uh, germany has has done a bit of a full-scale trial and decided that uh, and this might reflect back onto housing. This is maybe a situation where the, the, the transport is ahead of housing. Um, hydrogen trains are up to 80% more expensive than electric options, the German state finds. And essentially, um, this this sort of the state, Baden-Württemberg um, in Germany has uh, decided that um, they will not go for hydrogen trains because over a 30-year period, it's a lot more expensive than conventional electrification. 
um, which is an interesting... I, I won't necessarily draw any parallels to housing myself, but there, it's an interesting uh, study, and, and, and the outcome of that, I think, is salient. Um, we've covered an awful lot of... We've, 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 it's a tight 39 minutes we've been, I've been recording this for, which is... Which is I'm, I'm very impressed. Julia, anything you want to, to close out on? Any closing thoughts before we go into the end stuff? Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's been, it's been brilliant to kind of see the, the parallels, I think, between the sectors. And I think... This is something I would increasingly really like to see. I think we often kind of are in our little policy or sector silos, but actually I think we're often facing some of the same challenges. And I yeah. think the more people who are calling on the UK government with a, to have this strategic vision to focus on the low-hanging fruits, I think we do have a better chance of, of getting the policy outcomes we want and avoiding you know, embedding these less efficient, potentially more expensive uses of hydrogen, which don't necessarily benefit the end consumer or get us on track for net zero so i guess that would be my kind of end message um for listeners on the show today it's an excellent end message uh, is is more of us to, more of these sorts of collaborators of us chatting with each other and, and sort of seeing the seeing the where, where there are similar stories unfolding julia that's fantastic we will uh, we will come back for for the last word on a cheerio uh, momentarily but before that i must do the usual outro plugs uh, everyone listening in audio only format thank you so much uh, please leave a little review apparently it helps the internet algorithms uh, that control us all uh, may, may want you to do that because it's a good thing apparently um uh, the, the usual other plugs, patreon.com slash Gareth Dennis to support more of this sort of thing happening, paypal.me slash Gareth Dennis to throw abuse and change at me, uh, Gareth Dennis.co.uk slash merch for the merchandise. That exists. Very strange. Still haven't got over that. Uh, Gareth Dennis.co.uk slash Discord for the chat to continue. Hello, everyone in the chat. I'm waving at you. Um, sorry, this is a pre-record, but uh, you love a you love a pre-record every now and then. It gives you a chance to, you know, have a late, a late evening. Um, E3G. Juliet, it's a chance for you to Talk uh, talk briefly about E3G and, and and give E3G a plug. Any and in fact, you mentioned there are some reports and papers that you've, you've released. What any, anything recently that, that people should be going and having a look at? Yeah, absolutely. So for those who haven't heard of us before, we're an independent climate change think tank based in um, London, but also with Brussels, um, Berlin, and uh, Washington DC offices as well. Um, definitely encourage people to have a look on our website. We've got um, a whole world of reports on hydrogen issues um, and also heat and um, building sector decarbonisation more generally as well. So yeah, very keen to kind of continue the collaboration and um, looking for opportunities where we can push for this more strategic vision for, for hydrogen. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Yeah. Uh, so if, if uh, and I know that lots of people who are, who do dabble in uh, both activism um, and, and, and are think tankers out there and, and, and enjoy doing kind of, and academics as well, who do enjoy doing cross-functional kind of cross-sectoral stuff, then uh, yeah, reach out to E3G, uh, give, give them a heads up. Um, what other plugs have I got in here? Oh yeah, uh, this, this one has audio. I want to know why so much of our rail network is failing. So I'm heading to York to meet Gareth Dennis, an independent rail engineer who's worked on some of our biggest rail projects. He tells me the problems I've seen, and some I haven't, are down to how British Rail was broken up when the railways were privatised. Gareth is a new dad, hence the visual aids. <laughs> That was, yeah, that was my introduction to uh, that was how I was introduced to a tele show on Monday which was very funny I didn't realise they were going to 
point out that I was a new dad, hence the brio. Anyway, that was very nice. Um, yes, go watch uh, Channel 4 Dispatches with Ben Elton. It was uh, it, it was a pretty good show, actually. Um, and me and a few other railway friends pop up describing things going on. Um, well worth going and having a look at. Also, very, very briefly, if, uh, for those of you who haven't noticed, the, the, the Archipelago series is back, so you can go and watch that too. This, we recorded a very fun episode of that uh, last week, so go watch that. Next week's episode, more importantly than any of that, episode 173, putting geofencing to good use to improve track safety. That's a mouthful. Uh, with Leo Scott Smith is joining us from Tended. Um, geofencing, I experienced it when I first rode an e-scooter and uh, nearly fell over the handlebars when it applied the brakes automatically. Um it has other useful applications so um we're going to talk about those next week um in in, in another um guest episode it's guest after guest i'm so excited it's great i hadn't had guests for ages julia in fact i could bring 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 juliet back are we julia i haven't had guests on for ages because uh i little one had arrived and i like couldn't get into the headspace to invite guests on because it's like i have to then uh, organize myself and ask people and email and all this stuff and um uh and i've now got into the swing of i've got a nice surge of guests of late which has been very nice uh, of which you've been a fantastic one um and indeed it only remains really juliet for me to say a, a big thank you it's been an absolute pleasure having you on um it, really good um uh any any last words before we wave our audience our audience off into the distance uh <laughs> it's been... yeah just say a huge thanks for for having me and yeah really interesting to see the the parallels between the sector and let's hope we can continue collaborating absolutely everyone thanks so much for watching uh, tonight's rail now uh, it only remains for me and juliet to say cheerio cheerio everyone bye yeah.